So, can't believe it, but we're going to reach the end of the catechism today. We'll have covered, in part, of course, a little bit of everything that uh, the church offers us in that great synthesis. Uh, obviously, being merely the structure, right? Uh, the bones of the church, and then the flesh uh, gets put on throughout your life. Uh, that experience of God uh, through the prayer, that ch change that comes when you align your life to the life of faith, uh, living your life in light of the sacraments, and that moral life uh, by which we, we are guided to heaven. So let's begin with a prayer and then outline exactly where we're going to go tonight. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. We read from the Gospel according to John. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be consecrated in the truth. Lord Jesus, send forth your spirit upon us as we learn about those two sacraments, which you also call holy, which are meant to consecrate your people for the service of one another, so that learning this love in the midst of the church, we might each respond to that calling you have given to your people to be a priestly nation, to be your bridegroom. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So it seems somewhat fitting that this last class before Easter, we focus on vocations, on calling. Because indeed, hopefully, in learning more about the Catholic faith, that voice of God is starting to echo a little bit in your, in your hearts. You know, what am I called to do with this gift of the faith that I have been given? So the sacraments of service of communion, as the catechism calls them, these two sort of running together, holy orders and holy matrimony. Um, we actually brought in someone who knows a little something about holy matrimony, uh, Chance Unger. You might recognize him from previous classes. So you're going to talk about holy orders, and I'm going to talk about matrimony. We're going we're gonna to do the switcheroo uh, to kind of do, do a little devil's advocate or something. It would be a very short talk. <laughs> and I could go on about matrimony. Yeah, got to prepare all those couples, right? Uh, but just the first thing I want to point out about both of them is that, you know, in their proper name is the word holy, as we sort of read from Jesus's his high priestly prayer, sort of the last prayer in John 17 before he sets out on that direction, on that trajectory toward the passion. It says, consecrate them in the truth, make them holy in the truth. And so when we talk about orders and we talk about matrimony these are things that already exist in the natural order of things but they are made holy they are made holy meaning set apart this is an order and a matrimony that's different than any other kind of order or matrimony even within the church uh, there's actually one thing I, I like to point out there's actually lots of called ordos that's the wrong black marker there's lots of ordos there's 
the order of catechumens. What some of you belong to that are receiving baptism, you know, throughout this Lenten season, you're called, you are part of the order of catechumens. In the early church, there was the order of widows, those who had consecrated their life in a special way, sort of the beginnings of the religious life. And of course, there is the holy ordo, the one that is set apart from all these other kinds of ordos. When you belong to an ordo, you know, what does that word mean? Yeah, it means order. It means, you know, your life going in a specific direction, your life ordered in a certain to a certain mission. You know, you think about having a mission. So what makes this ordo different from all the other ordos is it sort of gives the mission to all those other orders. That's why it's called holy. It's the one that gives the mission to all the others. And we see that in the sacraments and the way the sacraments are structured. Holy orders is at the service of communion because it's what gives structure to the mission of the rest of the church. So that's what I'm going to unpack. And I'll hand it over to Chance. He's going to unpack holy matrimony for us. And then at the end, we'll, we'll sort of end early for many of us. For those that are going into the church this Easter, we'll ask you to stay a little bit and we'll go over some some practicals for what the, the next next couple weeks are going to look like. So you can uh, grab my sheet first, the one that says the Sacrament of Holy Orders at the top. And we find teaching on this really in two places in the catechism. The first one is in that section on the faith. And it talks about hierarchy in the church. So you might hear that word a lot and sometimes maybe in the wrong sense of the word hierarchy, where it's like the church is run with this oppressive ancient form of government, you know, kind of like the kings and the aristocracy of, of old. And it's, it's true. We do have a sort of a, the Pope is the king of Vatican City, right? <laughs> he, uh, he rules with a, you know, tyrannical arm. No. We pray for the Pope. Apparently the Pope's in the hospital uh, sick. So um, we'll say maybe a, a prayer for his intentions at the end of this. Um, but that word hierarchy uh, actually resembles this word or this idea of priesthood. Uh, hierarchy comes from the word uh, it's for temple and it comes from the word for ark. So first, this order, this first temple. The order of the temple, uh, putting everything in proper perspective to the one. And obviously, when we talk about the hierarchy in the church, who's at the top, but the Trinity, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you notice in, in Jesus's prayer, the high priestly prayer that we read from, he says, as you have sent me into the world, so I send them in the, into the world. Hierarchy is all about sending. You know, the Father has sent his Son. The son has sent his apostles. The apostles have sent so on and so forth all through the ages. And we become a part of that chain. Uh, we have a place in the hierarchy of God. And so uh, just starting to read from the catechism here, 934. says, among the Christian faithful by divine institution, there exists in the church sacred ministers who are also called clerics in law and other Christian faithful who are also called laity in both groups. There are those Christian faithful who professing the evangelical councils are consecrated to God and so serve the church's saving mission. So just clarifying a couple of those terms. 
a cleric. The word there denotes an idea actually of inheritance. We're going to talk a, a little bit about priestly celibacy, how we don't, we aren't involved in families in kind of the traditional inheritance of the world, where we receive an inheritance from our ancestors, and then we pass on that inheritance to those who come after us. That's what Chance is going to talk about, <laughs> that passing on, that handing down, that incredible gift. But for the cleric, their inheritance, and this goes back to the Psalms, the Lord is their lot and their inheritance. It is he who fills their cup. So my inheritance is the Lord. I have no one to hand on what I have except to the church, to the Lord's people. And so that's an idea of a cleric. It's someone whose whole life is to hand over what they are and what they have to God, to the church, especially. So it makes for a different kind of of hierarchy, I guess. Um, yes, holy matrimony is good, but you're, as St. Paul will say, you're handing over yourself to your spouse, to your children. There's a motion of love there. There's kind of another beautiful, harmonious handing over of self in holy orders then. So that doesn't compete necessarily because it is possible to receive both of these as we'll talk about. But they're ordered to different things. And so uh, the church has a place for each. So uh, another one I want to talk about is 936 about the Pope. Let's go to right to the top of this sort of hierarchy as the vicar of Christ. The Lord made St. Peter the visible foundation of his church. Uh, visible foundation. We think about Jesus who said to him, you are the rock on which I build this church. Peter, which means rock. He entrusted the keys of the church to him. The bishop of the Church of Rome, successor to Peter, is head of the College of Bishops. A group of bishops is called a college. You know, you put that right up with murder of crows and parliament of owls and all those other, uh, you know, words that form groups. It's a college of bishops. College means one who reads together or binds together those who are bound together in a certain unity the vicar of Christ and pastor of the universal church on earth. So vicar of Christ, vicar means, means helper, uh, idea almost of a servant. You know, Pope Gregory the Great, one of the early popes, called himself the servant of the servants of God. So very much in tune with what Jesus taught his apostles, right? I don't set you over people in this hierarchy so that you can be master, but so that you can be servant. That's what it means to rule, is to serve. That whole idea now that's pretty common even in this world that, you know, we have civil servants, uh, but it's very much, you know, a Christian idea imbued onto the world. Uh, just some other uh, passages really to give you to really show just why we need a, a pope, why Jesus gave this vicar to the church. Uh, also comes from that Last Supper moment. There's a moment when Jesus takes Peter aside, sort of in that moment when he says, one of you will betray me. Peter says, you know, I will go and die for you. Jesus, of course, tells him, Peter, Peter, you know, you're going to deny me three times. Satan is going to sift all of you like wheat. 
but I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail. So Jesus has prayed for Peter that his faith may not fail. His singular his. There's a special gift of faith that's given to Peter. And, you know, in the teaching of the church to all of his successors, which sort of 937 describes, the Pope enjoys by divine institution supreme, full, and universal power in the care of souls. This unfailing faith, even if the Popes fail in several other ways, as they'll admit, Pope Francis admits, you know, he's the first among sinners, right? But in the sense that the faith of the Pope can be counted on as a measure for the faith of the whole church. And that's gotten us through a lot of, a lot of trials, a lot of heresies throughout the ages, looking to the Pope. <laughs> no matter, you know, what other things are blown about, you know, the Satan wants to sift us all like wheat throughout all the ages, not just in that moment of the passion, but everywhere. Jesus has prayed that Peter's faith may not fail. And so Jesus tells Peter, when you return, when you convert, when you come back, strengthen your brethren. Strengthen your brethren. That's a Bible verse that's written all over the ceiling of St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. That's the mission statement of the, of the Pope right there. Um, Jesus giving to Peter. And so when you see in the Acts of the Apostles, it's always Peter who stands up and addresses the apostles, addresses the new converts, addresses this person and that person. He has primacy. But then bishops. Bishops are the visible source and foundation of unity in their own particular churches. So as the Pope is for the world, each bishop is for their diocese. Uh, the word bishop, we talk about a bishop. So first of all, Pope, maybe we should say this. This comes from Papa. You know. Father. <laughs> you know, kind of the 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 one who's like the grandfather of the whole church. I, I usually think about it more as a grandfather. Papa. Bishop. Coming from Episcopus overseer. Which kind of has, yeah, I don't know. Does that mean he's like the overseer at a construction site, making sure everyone gets their job done? No, I mean, kind of. That's what maybe we feel sometimes with our bishop. No, 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 no. It's, it's someone who's watching out for you, right? Someone who's watching over you, pastor, right? The idea of shepherd. Constantly that idea of good shepherd comes in whenever we talk about the priesthood. Uh, so, you know, that gives sort of, again, when we talk about hierarchy, each person having having a place, uh, having kind of these shells of connection. You know, we belong to the Catholic Church. Catholic means universal everywhere. But, you know, we can't have this sort of real visible communion with everyone everywhere. But we're sort of all nestled uh, into these little shells that all make a whole. So it's for our good, Jesus says, that we have this sort of structure, right, so that we can feel this closeness to those that we are closest to, to our neighbor, and then those neighboring churches, this closeness to their, under their bishop, and then all, all the bishops of the world, this closeness to the whole world. So we can truly be Catholic, but also, you know, this knit community together as one. Yes, Caleb. Yes. So you might also see those good, yes, very good, yes. You know, arch. Just like hierarchy, the first in the temple, an archbishop is a first bishop that sort of 
overseas, maybe some other bishops. So we have an archbishop in Omaha. He oversees all the bishops of Nebraska, just three total, including himself. Um, a cardinal is also just a bishop, but a bishop that has a particular role in the church. Okay, so a cardinal, again, actually has to do with the word order as well, or, or hinge. Okay, one that uh, is the hinge on which you know, other bishops move. So the cardinals are special bishops chosen by the Pope uh, to administer, you know, have a, a special connection to the Pope. And in turn, whenever a Pope dies, the cardinals are the ones that get together and pray and elect a new Pope. But they are just one here as bishops. Yes. All right. So I'll let sort of chance uh, unpack a little bit more of the lay state when he talks about marriage and just that holiness, that universal call to holiness that all of us are called to, you know, you don't have to uh, be a Pope or a Bishop. And in fact, you know, the reason you receive this sacrament in, in a sense, isn't for your own holiness, you know, that's what baptism is for. That's what confession is for. That's what Holy Eucharist is for. In a sense, almost both of these sacraments are to build up holiness in others. So it's not going to get you closer to heaven to become a deacon, priest, or bishop necessarily. If you don't have that uh, personal universal holiness that the church calls everyone to. So that's just what the rest of this article will talk about, is that kind of universal call to holiness that everyone in the church belongs to. But since this is on holy orders, I'm going to ask you to turn over the page. We're going to dive into you know, those passages in the catechism uh, that'll unpack for us, you know, what Jesus's vision for his new priesthood was. Um, so indeed, there was a priesthood of the old covenant. In fact, going all the way back to Adam, the things that Adam does in the Garden of Eden are priestly things. When he, he tends and cares for the garden, those two words actually describe the priests that care for the temple, it's the same word, and the keeping of the commandments, the priests that are called to ensure that all of Israel observes the commandments, to teach, to preach, to sanctify. It's already right there in Adam. Adam is sort of this high priest of creation. And then there's a sort of priesthood that's passed down, you know, through the family. Uh, Abraham observing sort of a priesthood over his family, offering sacrifice. And then the priesthood of the covenant on Mount Sinai. Uh, given to the sons of Levi, who, again, they don't take an inheritance among the tribes of Israel. They have no land for their own. You know, you have Judah in the south. You have Naphtali in the north. Levi has no land, but the Lord is their inheritance. They serve in the temples. They live in the temples day in and day out. And so that builds to what Jesus envisions for his priesthood. Of course, he is the high priest, and we have no other than he. I see the book of Hebrews for that, letter to the Hebrews. But being in him, being a part of the body of Christ, there are some that are called to be part of Christ the head, and some part of Christ the members. So in Christ the head, we, we read first St. Paul speaking to one of his best friends and disciple, yes, Timothy. Timothy, who he left, he 
made him remain behind in Crete as bishop. Whenever the apostles went around, they left people behind as overseers. And you notice what Paul says. I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of hands. That gesture was always a gesture of being chosen for a particular mission. It's used a lot in the early church. Jesus lays hands on things for, throughout his ministry as well. You know, the laying on of hands over the gifts. The gifts are chosen for a special purpose to be consecrated in the Eucharist. So Timothy has been has his hands laid over him, consecrated. Again, consecrate them in the truth. And then Timothy, to, in this letter to Timothy, he'll also write, you know, things about if anyone aspires to the office of bishop, he desires a noble task. So we already see the office of bishop in the scriptures. To Titus, this is why I left you in Crete, that you amend what was defective and appoint presbyters in every town as I directed you. So that word presbyter is where we get the word priest from. You can kind of tell how presbyter turns into the word priest. Throughout the ages, dropping syllables left and right, as happens sometimes. And sometimes people will read the scriptures and think of that word presbyter. Oh, it means elder, you know, someone who's advanced, you know, in age, advanced maybe in knowledge. But then why does Titus need to appoint them if it's just someone that naturally arrives at that status, which is how some people read that word elder? There's an idea that they have that this is an office alongside the bishop, as we'll see. And in the church fathers, especially whenever they use this word presbyter, they have that idea in mind. It's something you're appointed to, not just something that you sort of rise to in the ranks. So, and then of course, it doesn't mention, but Acts of the Apostles had the ordination, the laying on of hands of seven deacons. So that gives us the three put elder there. That's the literal meaning of presbyter. But again, it's used with a sense of someone is appointed to be a presbyter, not just grows into it. And then a deacon is literally a servant, you know, appointed by the apostles to help in the serving at the mass, at the liturgy, in service of the word, uh, so that's you know, those 12 could fulfill their own mission. The deacon has a very special relationship to these higher orders uh, to help them. They don't have to do everything. Oh, if I had a deacon here, do so much. Any volunteers? Yeah. So uh, let's dive a little farther in. 1591, and, and again, the catechism emphasizes this again and again and again. Chance will talk about this, I'm sure, that the whole church is a priestly people. I think in, in the sense of hierarchy, we sometimes forget, you know, maybe the priests are just supposed to be holy and they make us holy by the sacraments and we don't have to try, right? We don't have to do anything. No, Jesus says uh, many times, you know, I have made you a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, a people set apart. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be a priest? Um, one, one title I like, it's actually a title of the Holy Father, somewhat inherited from pagan roots, but not really. 
because actually uh, Levi also means the same thing, sort of. Pontifex. Pope is Pontifex Maximus, the greatest Pontifex. And the word and the name Levi, which is the priest of the Old Covenant, his name means a uh, bridge. Pontifex is a bridge builder, I guess. What a priest is meant to do, to build a bridge between God and man. So, of course, Jesus being high priest, he is the bridge between God and man. He bridges the gap in himself. You know, being God, being man in his own person makes that one. And so his priests being in him, they become builders of that bridge. You know, they build up Christ, the body of Christ in the people they encounter. So it's also the idea of, a Le of Levi being a bridge between God and man through offering of sacrifices. So every Christian, though, is also a bridge, you know, bearing in them the presence of God through the sacraments they've received, through the holiness that they've nurtured through that life of prayer. They become bridges for God to enter this world and encounter others and bring all people through this bridge uh, into him. Kind of a beautiful image for us to consider, you know, you know, in what ways, you know, is my bridge crumbling, falling apart? Yes, <laughs> we'll talk about confession at the end here for those that want to make their first confession, you know, uh, next week when we enter, before we enter the Easter mysteries, you know, letting God repair that bridge and let his light shine through each and every one of us. We share in the common priesthood of the faithful through baptism. We're all made this sort of bridge. We participate in the common priesthood of the faithful. So, but there exists, it says, another participation in the mission of Christ, the ministry conferred by the sacrament of holy orders, where the task is to serve in the name and in the person of Christ, the head in the midst of the community. Further on, the ministerial priesthood differs in essence from the common priesthood of the faithful and not just in degree, and I think it says elsewhere. So it's again, it's not just like an elder where, you know, you grow by degree, by degree, by degree, and then all of a sudden you become an elder. No, you are, you have the, your hands, the hands of, a, of someone with authority laid upon you. Jesus who says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. As these apostles have been sent, so they send others. You know, belonging to this whole chain, this whole tradition. So, they are ordained, and there's, you know, three offices that we talk about. And again, these are also meant to be mirrored in all of you, in your priesthood of the faithful. There's a teaching office, and a lot of times that corresponds to being a prophet, being ordained as a prophet, to receive the word of God and speak it in your own life. And so you exercise that. You go to Mass and are prepared to receive the Word of God. You know, maybe reading the readings beforehand, you know, you're building up that bridge uh, to let God through, right? You practice that office of priest of the faithful. Uh, the munus liturgicon. <laughs> we can't really unpack all of this tonight, but that's sort of the office of being a priest uh, in itself, you know, in the liturgy, offering sacrifice, offering prayers. So also priesthood of the faithful to offer your prayers, to unite them to the sacrifice of the mass. And then the office, munus regendi, office of a king, the priest, prophet, and king right there. And of course, again, as Jesus says, to rule is to serve. So putting yourself at the service of one another, building those bridges, those bonds of communion within our own community. 
So uh, again, this uh, 1593 references some of, one of the church fathers, one of the earliest ones, St. Ignatius of Antioch, who knew the apostle, at least the apostle John, who knew he's part of that sort of first, second generation of Christians. And throughout his letters, describes this threefold order. You know, this has largely been abandoned, in a sense, by many of our separated brethren. And yet so important of securing a place for all the faithful in the people of God. So he talks about this structure of bishops, presbyters. Again, a presbyter not as someone who's just risen through the ranks in degree, but a different kind of presbyter, an elder who's been appointed. And deacons, without which, he says at the end of that quote, one cannot speak of the church. So, bishop having the fullness of holy orders, priesthood is described as being sort of the extension of, of the bishop. The idea in the original diocese is that every town would have their own bishop. And then the priests would be the ones that sort of go out to the surrounding countryside. Now, demographics have changed since the ancient world. We, a bishop can be over a much larger span of area than, than original, but the idea is the same. That we're united in one main city, Lincoln. This is the Diocese of Lincoln. Even when you go all the way out to the Colorado border, still the Diocese of Lincoln, united in one uh, through the priests that are there. And then the deacons being at the service of the bishop for special roles. So, for instance, in our diocese, we have Deacon Hecker, sort of a special role appointed to him running the schools. So that sort of takes us through 1594, 1595, 1596. Followed by a solemn prayer of consecration, asking God to grant the ordinance, one being ordained, the graces of the Holy Spirit required for his ministry. Ordination imprints an indelible sacramental character. You know, just like baptism imprints this indelible character, and confirmation imprints this indelible mark that gives us that ability to do the sacraments. One thing, one passage I look to all the time, whenever I do the sacraments, when Jesus says, you know, he who receives you receives me. He who receives me, receives the one who sent me. You know, speaking to those apostles. Again, they've been marked with that presence of Jesus in a special way. In which we can truly say, those who receive you, receive me. So I have to think about that. And I have to live that, right? Those who receive me and receive what's from my hands are receiving it not from my own hands but from the hands of Jesus. There's, this is all intended in the life of the church. Uh, you go back to the teaching of Jesus, to what he led his apostles to do. It's all intended. Uh, finally, uh, last two things I'll talk about, and then I'll hand, it, I'll hand it over for questions, then hand it over to chance. Uh, it's, it's sort of maybe the two things we usually start to think about when we think about Catholic priests. And that is one, 1598, the church ordains men for this sort of priesthood, this holy order. And two, 
especially in the Latin church, the Western church, and that the church ordains men who have consecrated themselves celibacy. So to unpack a little of the first, uh, we recall what a sacrament is. So we'll read that first. The church confers the sacraments of holy orders only on baptized men. And it, it notes very there because in, in Latin and in many languages, first of all, English is terrible because we have one word for men and for men when really we should have two words for men and for men. We should have one word that means humanity. And I guess we do have that humanity, but just it doesn't roll off the tongue very easily, you know, whereas all these other languages, they have the word for like mankind, like all people that belong to homo sapiens, you know, and one word that denotes males. So very there denotes males. Um, it's actually uh, associated with the word for war. So apparently males are the ones who fight wars. They're warriors. The suitability for the exercise of the ministry has been duly recognized. Okay, there's something in God's plan for men, for Adam. Okay, Adam created as priesthood, as the priest for all creation. Eve, you know, created as the mother of all the living. The different vocations, the complementarity of the sexes that God called good and that God said was in his image. You know, God didn't say that males were in his image, and that's why we have an all-male priesthood. And he didn't say females are in his image. And that's why, well, I don't know, we have an all-female religious sisterhood. He said male and female are his image. And Chance might talk a little bit about that, image of God. I don't know. I don't know what Chance is talking about. I've heard him talk about a lot of things. They're all good. But so it's something about the male-only priesthood that has to be connected to another entity that is female. And of course, in the letters of the New Testament, we see what that is. It's Christ, the bridegroom, and the church, the bride. And recalling what a sacrament is, it's a visible sign instituted by Christ to give grace. And so what visible sign did God choose for this specific sacrament? It includes the visibleness of malehood, of fatherhood. And what fatherhood gives. Uh, when, you, when we talk about fatherhood, a lot of times we mention even just built into the biology of, of men is this gift that doesn't grow within the father. It grows in the mother. And that being something intimately connected to this type of priesthood, where a lot of what we give, it doesn't grow in us. We don't get to see the fruits of what we give. And that being intimately connected to the male visible sign that what we give, it grows up in each and every one of you as part of the bride of Christ, as part of Mother Church. So, you know, that is an intimate part of it, is that God willed fatherhood to be connected to this holy orders, you know, and in many ways we need to nurture the vocation of motherhood, you know, it's definitely under attack nowadays more than ever. Fatherhood is under attack now more than ever, it seems. And the role of each of those and the necessity of each of those, you know, 
that we need good mothers. We need to celebrate motherhood, authentic motherhood uh, in new ways and bring it to the forefront. We need to celebrate fatherhood, authentic fatherhood. So, again, the church authority alone has the responsibility and right to call someone to receive the sacrament of holy orders. You know, I like to say that too. You know, why, why can any guy become a priest? It's like, no. Not just any guy can become a priest, and there's not going to be a lot of men are not going to become priests. And that's that's an, again another thing. It's like this isn't necessary for holiness. You know, the priesthood is for the holiness of others, your own personal holiness. If you think you're going to be holy by obtaining this order and not through what the church has actually given, you know, we're, we're mistaken. Uh, and then lastly, 1599 in the Latin church, the sacrament of holy orders for the presbyterate is normally conferred, again, normally conferred, meaning there are exceptions to this, only on candidates who are ready to embrace celibacy freely and who publicly manifest their intention of staying celibate for the love of God's kingdom and the service of men. Men there being homini, um, mankind, humanity, not just males, right? We need, we need more words, English, yes. So why celibacy? And not just celibacy, really. The three evangelical councils, poverty, chastity, and obedience, uh, is, is what ordinarily, normally, the church will call men out of that state. So really, when we go to the seminary, we're not discerning the priesthood, first of all. We're discerning the life of the evangelical councils, to be obedient, not to go where we want to go, to go where we are sent, to to be, live poverty, right? Not to be in control of our own finances, but to receive what's given to us, uh, to live celibacy. And again, not that matrimony is bad because it's also a sacrament. Not that sex is bad because it's made by God. And again, man and woman, male and female, in their totality, are the best sacraments of the divinity that we have. But as First of all, is the example of Jesus himself uh, choosing to live that celibate life as a sign of the kingdom. You know, not choosing a bride for his own person because his bride is the church. And so also every priest, that sign, that visible sign, it's appropriate. That's the church would call people who are willing to dedicate their whole love and their whole sort of manner of love to the church. It's also sort of the practice of the apostles. You see it in the Gospels. You know, even though Peter was married, we know Peter was married. He had a mother-in-law. But he says, you know, Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. We've left, you know, as Jesus would say, you know, mother and father, <laughs> uh, children for the sake of the kingdom of God. So that was a common, actually, practice in the early church. They'd choose men who, you know, maybe their families had grown up, grown old. And then they wanted to dedicate themselves to a new life. You know, the, the wife would dedicate themselves to uh, a life of sort of a religious life. The order of widows, as we mentioned, and the husband would dedicate himself to the holy order, the holy ordo. Chance will talk about why, you know, that kind of, you know, shifted. There's a goodness to be found in marriage for life, right? A very, something very good about living those golden years together. So the church gradually kind of moved into this, you know, calling men who were ready to give themselves totally to the celibate life. But it's not required because Jesus, of course, didn't just call single men. He called married men alike. So 
in the Eastern Church, uh, they will actually have, you know, married priests. In the Western Church, we have married deacons, Deacon Hecker. He's married. No one has ever had married bishops, I suppose. There's, there's kind of this sense in the fullness of the orders to be totally like Christ, you know, East and West alike. You know, we choose from those who are ready to give themselves totally to the church as their bride. But, uh, but one thing that is important, though, in all these cases, once you are ordained, you know, you don't go looking for another bride. So... If your if her spouse should pass away, for instance, you know, there's no getting married again once you've sort of given yourself over to any of these orders. You've given yourself already to the bride, and that bride is the church. And, you know, I tell seminarians all the time, you know, discerning celibacy as sort of discerning, you know, how you're called to love. Because, you know, some of us are called to love in sort of this, this total and faithful way to one person. You know, and that's where you receive in, in that gift of self. You receive so much in giving to that one person. Some of us are called to give to too many. And that's sort of the celibate heart. Uh, it's undivided heart. It's an undivided heart. It's, it's totally to God and being totally to God, able to give itself to any person that's there. Versus the good of holy matrimony is the fact that you have someone to give yourself to totally and wholly each and every day of your life. So I'm going to call Chance forward to unpack for us what that gift is like, that way to love. Um, each of these, each of these sacraments, really a way to love. So yeah, any any I guess questions that you need to know about holy orders, in order just to to kind of get it, you know, why do we need priests? Um, why do I need to exercise as well my priesthood? Common priesthood of the faithful. Uh, any other any other questions or comments? Otherwise, uh, chance if you want to come up, start coming up. Oh, for a break. Okay, sure. So we'll take about five minutes. Chance will open up when we get back. Thanks, you guys.